my mum's tried to FaceTime me like three times. I was like, stop Thanks. it. Mum, I'm doing the podcast. Yeah. I'm messy and important. Go away. <laughs> Welcome to episode five of German Street Theatre's podcast, Prompt Corner. Today, we're talking about the Swedish dramatist August Strindberg with playwright Howard Brenton, director Tom Littler, and actors Charlotte Hamblin and James Sheldon, reuniting them all from their 2017 and 2019 performances of Miss Julie at German Street Theatre. I'm your host, Kieran Walsh. Um, enjoy the podcast. Am I just going to be edited out of this? Have you just asked me for courtesy? <laughs> Unfortunately, uh, Charlie Hamblin couldn't make it, so... Um, <laughs> <laughs> oh, she's popped out. Oh. <laughs> lost her again. Um, uh... Curious. So yeah, should we start going around? Um, James, should we start with you? Would you like to introduce yourself? Uh, hi, I'm James Sheldon and I played Jean in Miss Julie. Great. And how about you, Charlotte? Hi, I'm Charlotte Hamblin and I played Miss Julie in Miss Julie. Uh, Tom? Uh, I'm Tom, as you've pointed out, and I directed um, four Strindberg-related uh, shows. Um, Dances of Death at the Gate Theatre, um, Miss Julie and Creditors, um, and um, The Blinding Light, all four of which were um, either adapted or written by Howard. And that leads us on to you, Howard. Yes, and uh, I'm the adapter who did all that, uh, yes, heavy lifting for Tom. <laughs> Sounds a bit begrudging. <laughs> Not at all. No, no, it's a delight. It's a delight. Perhaps we could start with you, Howard. I'd be really interested. So we're all we're all um, unified here by by Strindberg, by these um, adaptations of Strindberg, um, by the Blinding Light as well. Um, Tom and Howard, which is um, about Strindberg himself. And so I wonder if I might start, Howard, by asking you what you find so compelling about Strindberg. I think it's because it's completely unlike the kind of thing I write. And I, I'm, I'm, I'm not like that as a writer at all. Um, I, 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 I was very, I'm just so interested in the fact that he had a world view. He wasn't just a professional writer. He was very unlike Ibsen, you know, Ibsen and, and, and Strindberg are just two different planets on either side of, 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 of the theatrical solar system, really. Um, whereas Ibsen's work is coherent, it develops over the years, it's a magnificent cathedral of work. Um, Strindberg's is like a mashed up, smashed up ruin full of some magnificent rooms, almost without structure, you know, um, although there are different eras in it. So, so they're, they're very different. And, and there was something about his voice that I that really interested me. I think it has influenced me in the, in the last few plays, you know. Um, something about, although he was a chaotic man in many ways, you know, and, and whether he was a good or a bad man is really up for grabs in you know, discussion. Um, when he wrote drama, there was something authentic about it, something human. Mm. Um, that that interested me a lot, you know. Mm. And I suppose there's something intensely human about that um, 
the blinding light in terms of your work with Tom. Uh, so the, this is back in 2017 at German Street Theatre. And I wonder if Tom, you could speak about kind of that production in particular, the way that Howard's put the pressure on that, that, that kind of almost chaos, that, that, that really, really compelling aspect to Strindberg's autobiographical kind of life and, and the way that influences work. And so maybe you could talk a little bit about how that manifests itself in the blinding light. Yeah, I mean, The Blinding Light was sort of born out of necessity in the sense that um, Howard and I have been talking about a, a biographical drama about Strindberg, but I said he could only have four actors, um, which was for economic reasons, not art ones. And so it then became about the search for a kind of like a moment in Strindberg's life um, from which lots of other things could explode. So The Blinding Light, um, was about what's called the Inferno period, um, during which Strindberg had a um, an extended um, nervous breakdown, you could call it, um, during which he had stopped writing and um, he was uh, heavily into the occult and he thought that he was going to um, discover the, the secret of making, making gold alchemic secrets of that. And so from that drama, Howard um, wrote a play that was able to go kind of both backwards and forwards in Strindberg's life. So we were able to kind of pack in lots of the biographical story um, because he was having uh, visions and hallucinations. And so it was possible that, um, uh, I mean, Strindberg really, he had people walking through walls, didn't he? And he was having sex with people who weren't there. And uh, I mean, it, it was, it was a pretty trippy time, wasn't it, Howard? I mean, it was. It was, it was extraordinary. Yes, he. Um, so, so uh, uh, we were able to have him meet not only old wives but wives that he was yet to meet. You know, from the future. So his future and his past were colliding in his his, his head. Um, the, the, Strindberg's uh, wrote, wrote a book about it called called Inferno. You know, and like all of his autobiographies, it's sort of unreliable. You don't know quite how how he was able to. He he ended up using that period really because it was the great watershed. Miss Julie was just before it. Then the the plays after it were very very different. Um, the relationship with alchemy was interesting because it was it was as if he was trying to reach some kind of personal reformation and it went hand in hand with turning his uh, his theatre inside out. I mean the man had already written a great period of revolutionary figure of theatre. Um, uh, 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 creditors and the father and Miss Julie were revolutionary in their time. No one had ever seen anything like it. They were far more intense and more dangerous than what Ibsen was doing really. And, um, and he threw all that away. Mm. And four years later, after the breakdown in Paris, emerged writing stranger, more mystical work. Put pressure on that. So it's interesting that you bring up that alchemy, because obviously that's what's so compelling about that, the blinding light. Um, I, I think there's really interesting, I think, Howard, you've said before in interviews that that there is this, it, writing has this amazing communication with with the dead, with this kind of with characters that you're not necessarily kind of intimate with on a personal level, but you know 
have some sort of relation to you. And I wonder if we could speak about, if Charlie and James, you could speak a little bit about how, so this notion of adapting plays for new audiences, bringing up things from the past to the future. Um, I wonder how the process of rehearsal coming to acting for a play like Miss Julie, how that has that sort of communication with characters that you don't know or that you come to know or so what's that sort of alchemical process of talking to the dead as it were uh well for me in, in, interestingly that they're the same there's no like um uh there's no like so to, to, to modernize the because obviously it's, it's written in a different language and how it had it translated from the original uh uh transcript of it or text of it and um and created this beautiful thing but the, the whole like, working of it is is the same you just got to you just got to read it and go through it, and and it's all there. Everything that's in it, everything that's that you need is written within it. You don't need any of the. Um, you don't need to think outside the box in that sense. Then, then in that sense, especially for Strindberg, because if you start thinking <clears throat> outside of anything that isn't the writing that he's put down on the page, you're lost. You're, then you're not coming back. You're, you're sort of you have to follow what he's what he's put down, even though a lot of it is as we as we've discussed about him in rehearsals that. A lot of the stuff off stage wasn't quite finished or complete. He had a big thing about not quite. He didn't think outside of the box in that in that um, aspect. He was all it was all on stage, all all in the moment in what was happening. Yes, that's true. I mean, plot was almost an irritant to yeah, to find out what to do. Yeah, with <laughs> what, what person leaves and then comes back an hour later, having been to somewhere else. Yes, I know. I know. <laughs> You can't get to within an hour. Yeah. So who creditors is a nightmare, particularly. Creditors is a nightmare. Who, who is who took what ferry when could drive who, you mad? Yeah. Who knows? But that's what I mean. So anything it doesn't that matter somehow isn't yeah anything that isn't there. Don't don't think about it. it was what I discovered. Just do what is there on the page. Yeah, mm -hmm. I think that's the sort of same. I think with with both James and I felt if uh, I, I was very familiar with Miss Julie as a play, I, I first read it when I was 12, I'm quite obsessed with it, and semi-hounded Tom for an audition. Um, uh, but I think with James and I, we were both, if you go into this play thinking about the magnitude of what you have to achieve, you wouldn't go on stage. <laughs> I think you'd be too scared. Um, yeah. And with Strindberg is you just, have to play moment to moment because it's a war it's a word game it's a tennis match and if you think beyond it's the best it's the best test of it and and sort of honing of acting skills because you there's no choice but to play beat to beat um and be completely in the moment or you just wouldn't go on <laughs> i think and with his ongoing sort of thing that isn't quite linear you have to do everything that a human has to do in the lifetime in 45 minutes until yeah. you get to the point of what's happening within the 30, first 45 minutes so you've got to go through all this all the all the emotions that he's that he's that he's written down but you've got well, i mean we did i mean i don't know charlie will back me up but we did loads of and tom tom corrected us but we did loads of like so why are we doing this and charlie would be like we don't understand what's going on why are we moving from this bit to this bit and tom will be like because you are that's it. Directing in That's it. It says it in the script, and so I suppose it. That's what happens next. So off you go. <laughs> and you just can't. You just can't question that. You just have to go with it. But it's so once you've 
once you've got past the fact that you don't understand the why you've done that, it's so human for one minute to be mm. super happy and having a lovely time and having a joke for someone to say something that isn't an insult and you find it slightly insulting and then for all of a sudden to that whole thing to switch right that's so human to do and he writes that in the writing so much and so well that you you don't clock it when you're reading it or when you're doing it for the first it was time. A, it's like the opposite of how we're trained to act 100 exactly. yeah um and i was i actually briefly mentioned this to tom the other day and i think most people hope most people listening probably have watched normal people on on bbc and i was watching it and just so much of miss julie was resonated in it and yeah, yeah, yeah. the uh, what is unsaid and what is not communicated could have changed everything but they didn't say it they didn't do it and that and so much of miss julie is the acting of the physical doesn't match the verbal and yeah. uh, the sort of class difference in normal people as well was so it really felt like a, the closest thing i've seen to like a modern mm touch on what, what what we always found quite sort of difficult was trying to make the stakes high enough um, as to why Miss Julie would sort of take her own life at the end of it all and I think normal people was almost like a modern version of of, of that and I, I it felt the pain in watching their scene was as painful as I think we found it uh, well, when we were really, when we were really in it, uh, it was exc it's excruciating. You want to ram the heads together and be like, "What the hell are you doing?" Um, but I felt, you know, I felt like I've. It's weird. I thought a lot about Miss Judy recently, probably because of normal people, um, and so it's yeah, it's that's sort of anyway tangent. Yeah. And do you remember? I mean, Howard, this is probably. Do, do you remember this? All all the um the th the three. Strindberg's not the blinding light but dancers of death and miss julian creditors the process of rehearsing was always like weirdly um light-hearted remember yes. the rehearsal room for all three were always like ridiculous and we did miss julie twice and and all three times as everything was always stupid and full of jokes and it was just kind of choreography really just line to line to moment to moment yeah. and then it was only when you ran it that you went, oh shit, this is you can't, you can't do you can't do that. You can't do it eight times in a day. Honestly, I have never laughed so much in my life. The day we did the scene, Tom was like, why don't we do it again? The bit where Miss Judy's just about to go out and kill herself. I think we did it about 17 times. But that's the day I've laughed most in any rehearsal. I was crying with laughter, except maybe the attempt at the sex scene. That was just the funniest thing. It's sort of a tragic genius, you see, that's lying under, you don't think of him as a tragic writer, but there's a tragic genius in, in, in Strindberg, which is a kind of hilarity, a deep hilarity underneath. Yeah. Which um, is weird to put your hands on, you know? I mean, you you love you love it. You love it when they tear each other to bits, particularly in dance of dance of death. Yeah. You know, in, and in, in creditors, the grinding into each other is is sort of hilarious yeah, um, because the machine is getting tighter and tighter, yeah. and um, it's um, the audience feel curiously encouraged and light-headed at the end. So that was great, you know, having seen these yeah. people tear each other to bits. 
let's all go and have a great meal or go straight to the pub. It's a very weird sense. It's, it's a kind of tragic celebratory thing lying underneath the, the, the actual dialogue more than any plot or, you know. Well, maybe you think so, or am I? Am I getting no, I think I think you're right. I think loads of people identify with it. They're like, "Thank God, it's not just me and my relationships that these blazing <laughs> rounds." But I think there I is mean, something. And I was thinking yeah. a lot about Miss Julie as well since lockdown, because I was like, "Holy shit!" If you're locked in a difficult relationship, oh, God, yeah. But it reminds me of Miss Julie because they are trapped in and they can't get out. Yes, and it's a midsummer night you can never leave. Yes, and it sort yes. of was. I mean, I'm isolating alone. Thank God for anyone who might have potentially isolated with me um <laughs> but I was I was thinking gosh you know it would be if you're in an unhappy relationship god the, the fizzing and I think there's something about Miss Julie that is kind of it's like a tennis match and it is so, so brilliant and like that's why when John McEnroe in tennis kicks off we bloody love it when he goes nuts I think there is something within us that we oh. love seeing people tear each other apart that's why stuff like succession is so success successful yeah. um yeah. and also i think people identify with it they're always trapped, trapped. Aren't they? yeah and there's yeah. the thing can we break how can i break out of this can i break out of this i cannot break out of this it yeah. goes on i mean particularly the, the in in dance in, in dance of death you know they're asking yeah. can i break out of this particularly yeah. the wife yeah. And uh, and but you can't. You've got to return to it because it's your given station. Why should I be given a station? I don't want a station in life. This is your station, you know. And which goes on in Miss Julie, doesn't it? You know, yeah. it's part. It's part of that, that winding up that goes on in his writing. Yeah, yeah. And Dance of Death. They're just. They're. It, it's a a couple. It's their what did we make it their 40th wedding anniversary or 30th? I can't remember. We played yeah. around with the time scale. That's a great idea. But it was Michael Pennington and Linda Marlowe um, trapped in this on their, on their wedding on anniversary. That island. Like, Which was a plague island, wasn't it? Yes. Oh, God. It was, it was, it was a quarantine island, what's more. Yeah. Yes. Um, and, and they just, uh, just tearing lumps out of each other. And it had this weird thing as well that, um, the audience was completely split, um, often often generationally, between people who've either found it um, hilarious and quite bracing, or the most traumatizing, <laughs> frightening thing they'd ever seen in their life. Either this is, um, uh, you, you know, quite encouraging, or it's the most terrifying vision of the future ever. <laughs> We had that with Miss Julie, there were some nights, and we play it relatively the same every night, <laughs> unless we're being a bit rogue, um, unless Tom wasn't there. Um, there were some nights where they would just laugh their heads off the whole way through, we were like, what is going on? And then there would be nights where there's not a single laugh, laughter and they look ashen-faced and they're traumatised by it. So it's really weird that effect Stringberg has sort of kind of consistently mm. through his work that it kind yeah. of divides and it's really dark people people laugh when they recognize themselves and things and when they're uncomfortable as well yeah. i think mm. i wanted to ask whether both of you found coming from the 2017 production of miss julie to the 2019 one what your experiences were in that changing period i mean 2018 was for a lot of people that sort of really really public me too sort of 
exposure, etc., etc. And obviously the play in some way deals with that idea of being trapped, that idea of being kind of in something that you can't, can't get out of. Um, how, you know, coming back to that in 2019, was that a different experience when we're talking about audience reactions? Did people react differently to it? Definitely, yeah. yeah. I mean, we're speaking, we're speaking about it a lot and people's different reactions to different stuff. Whereas in a, even in that short amount of time, 2017, um, Me Too hadn't happened or it was starting to happen. Yeah, so. it just did when we were... We, Weinstein came out just as we were finishing it-ish. That was it. So, it was, so there was stuff in, it, in the run that was, you know, I mean, still brazenly laughed at uh, through being uncomfortable, you know, and being... Um, and still, still like a socially okay to, to, to belly laugh at. Um, and then when the 2019 production, there was that, that same stuff landed the same with the audience, but the reaction was different um, due to everybody, obviously, you know, being made aware of what was happening in those, in, in the Me Too movement and stuff. So, yeah, there was a difference, I think, definitely. And also we were more aware of it. We were uh, much a, more aware of it. Yeah, I think it's it's an odd one as well. And I think mental health has been talked about way more openly, even in the last couple of years since that. So where, I mean, there were comments, I think, in 2017, oh, gosh, Miss Julie's insufferable. And gosh, I wouldn't li listen to her. Like, what an idiot. What an entitled posh girl. Um, and that sort of stopped, I think, in second time around. And I think Jean became slightly less sympathetic, um, not from anything that, we did but I think just from the way people people are nervous and people the, the play almost became more difficult to watch because people were uncomfortable to to watch it and I think yeah. we certainly felt that and yeah. um but I think it's weird just having sort of a couple of years away from something I definitely felt that um there was a lot more the in the later ones, John and Kristen's relationship was much more loving. So when she comes in, because um, we had d different actresses, and I think yeah, so. We should, we should just for, for anyone who didn't see, we should sort of acknowledge that that that, that was a really big difference, wasn't it? Because um, Isabella Banovich who did it the first time, and then Dorothy and Maya Bennett who did it the second time, because it was then doubling into creditors, um, would extremely different Kristen's and yeah. Kristen speaks in her silence a lot I mean that like that must have felt completely different like James yeah. betraying each Kristen <laughs> there was a lot more for Jean to lose because it felt like in the second time we did it I mean correct me if I'm wrong James but there was a different obviously there was a different dynamic between you and uh Dot and it was very loving and familiar and it felt that Miss Julie was destroying more for Jean. So in a way, there was a whole different journey for that. And it was more devastating as well for Jean, I think. I don't know, but that's what I had, what I yeah. saw coming in. But that's, yeah. Did you feel in the second uh, time that, that, that I, I, I sort of thought, oh my God, do you, Julie could was almost was prepared to make it at the end. Was prepared to go, and that um, his cowardice, having claimed the male power and privilege, and always said, "I am the man," even though I am a lower class, I claim the man's right. 
you know, he he's cowardice and that he could not break his fear of the, the, the more powerful man above her father, you know, that, that I thought that was much stronger. His cowardice yeah. and her courage seemed more emphasized the second time round. I think because of the Me Too, what had been happening with Me Too, and you had this different reading of it, which of course is just like what happens with great plays. They're a bit prism-like. You shake the prism up and the pattern's slightly different, although the colours are the same. It certainly felt more yeah. devastating. Right? Yeah. It felt more yeah. devastating, I think. Yeah, yeah. Rather than the first, the first time it was, you know, a bit of a whirlwind and it was traumatic, but this was really, De it, it was really upsetting, I think, in a way mm. for both of them, rather than just watching yes. a woman have a breakdown and it all go wrong. Yeah. It felt really upsetting. I was a lot yeah. more affected by it as an actor yeah. second time round. Did, did, did you feel, did you feel, oh, I could, she could make it? A hundred percent. I think they would have gone off. I think yeah. they would have killed each other, but I think they would have yeah, gone together. They, they, yeah. <laughs> I think she believed. I think she believed him and thought they had a life. Whereas I think yeah. the first time around, she didn't really ever believe it. No. Yeah. I think because of that, because of the Me Too movement and all and, all, and everything that that, that 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 brought is that it, um, the the choice I, for me anyway, playing it anyway, the, the choice was uh, always Jean's in my head in the first one as to what happens, and then. Obviously, everything changed and all that, all that, you know. And then the second time around, there was there were two choices to be made, and I was at the mercy of another choice. And Judy, Judy, Judy made the choice to be like, "Let's, we can do it." And then, then the the ball was um, back in my back in my court, and I, and then and then the fear. I remember, I remember doing it and thinking that the fear is so much more this time round. Because yes, I, and we, we should I, tell listeners that, that, yeah, that there's this that this power of, of the father and dread of her father returning. Mm. And throughout the show, his boots sit on the stage, which Jean at times polishes and then polishes again right at the end. Is that right? Yes, it is. Well, that's James. Um, they, they're so powerful and they get yeah, bigger yeah. and bigger as you watch yeah. and more and more sinister. Yeah. Charles Dance, we cast Charles Dance, didn't we? Sorry. <laughs> In our <laughs> head, Charles Dance was our casting for the, <laughs> the Baron consistently for both productions. He kept his part, but but you no, know, it was James's stroke of genius idea that that, that the final moment of the play would not be um, the the Miss Julie exit, which is what's written, but that after she's gone, Jean would then pick up the boots and start polishing and so that's what we blacked out on well, James that was you was it it's not in the text is it <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to oh, you read it great great do you know what I mean it's just Trimberg would have been delighted he always said oh put it in if you want it he was very loose it's strange yeah. he was very loose about that he said oh if you don't like it just change it it's like yeah. we felt as yes, very relaxed definitely um, yeah. with working with Howard and Tom I know that you guys were open and loose with it so we felt totally. like there was no choice that felt like I was told to do anything, which is the mark of great words, great directors, when you just don't, when you're just kind of feel like you're organically let to do your own thing, but yeah, obviously uh, heavily uh, reined in. I remember when I went to <laughs> smack a, uh, oh, I, in a, in a dress rehearsal, I 
here's a saucepan off the wall. And Tom brilliantly, rather than never telling me to do that again, which any sane director would, he said, right, how do we glue it down? So if she does do it, decide to do it again, it won't fall off. And I think that's the mark of a good director is they just like, well, let the actors follow their instincts and we'll deal with the we consequences. Took every saucepan on the set and cable tied it to the set so that in case, in case you ever took the spontaneous decision to hit a saucepan again, it wouldn't go anywhere. Gosh, I so broke a lot, didn't I? James cleared up. Thank God he was playing my footman because he he cleared up so much of my mess. This, uh, yeah, my, my main job was remember the words, say them in order, and then clean up. <laughs> mainly, How yeah. many glasses did we lose? Ooh. There was a count kept on glassware lost over the course of both production Sorry, that didn't survive to the production <laughs> <laughs> by the lake and german street both with smashed glass everywhere yeah if that came out my wages <laughs> i'd be on nothing <laughs> it, was, it was it was a it was a room in which we were allowed to act in and that's sort of strindberg that's what he wrote like the whole start of miss julie even then when he wrote it, it was you know 10 minutes of someone cooking loved it which was just unheard of it just never done before yeah. and 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 it's just mad to think that a lot of things start with that kind of thing now. A lot of things start with someone doing something. And so in plays and TV programs and films start with action rather than words. And that idea that he had has now been taken on as an idea that works across all these genres because it's so it's so intriguing. It's so intriguing to watch somebody be normal. Um, it was even more powerful in, in, in his first performances because it was a cook. Yeah. and said, oh, we're sitting here, you know, and you, you, you can imagine a bourgeois audience, you know, who like avant-garde theatre, but, but they're a bourgeois audience, they're in evening dress, and they're sitting there watching a cook, which just seemed outlandish. Yeah. Why are we sitting here watching a cook who's saying nothing, she's just yeah. cooking? For ages. You know, yeah. 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 yeah, but Tom yeah. and uh, Tom and, and 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 the whole team created this this room where we could play, where we could be, where we could you know, if we wanted to flip a table, we could flip a table. If we wanted to rip down a sink, we could rip down a sink. Obviously, we wouldn't because it cost a lot of money to replace. We, <laughs> we tried. <laughs> we tried a few times. Tried. Yeah. Uh, you know, and we wanted to we could do that. And there were there were knives and forks and pots and pans and spices, and it was actual spices and. You know, you know, both Christians would would every there to cook me uh, from raw um, kidney on on stage on stage from raw kidney cook me every night, and I would eat that kidney on stage. Spicy, and that would all be the first. Uh, but they'd spice it with different spices every night just to mix it, but because they, it was all there available. So if they wanted to have a I don't know a dill kidney, they could have a dill kidney, and I could eat it that dill. So just <laughs> that, just like the unlike, I mean, honestly, it is it is sort of unheard of in the in the theatre world, and especially. You know, one that's um, uh, not not to insult it, but so is that small as as Germanstreet and such a, a small operation to decide to do that for a performance is um, just above and beyond. I think really paid off in terms of realistic uh, settings for. I mean, down to the fact that there's wisteria all over the theatre, both at Theatre by the Lake and German Street, um, and then wisteria smell was pumped into the to the theatre to the to the auditorium. So so. Like all of it was was built towards that, um, and I think that that is Strindberg. And you deserve that Olivier is... for eating all that kidney. <laughs> I'll take and one. Wonderful, yeah. wonderful um, Louis Whitemore with designs for oh, Queen Julianne Predators, both yeah. beautiful, yes, and Jerry Trulux designs 
and Emily Stewart's designs for The Blinding Light and James Perkins on Dancers of Death. I mean, we got lucky on all of those shows with people who created really, um, well, real worlds in the case of the three Strindberg plays and then a kind of um, like a phantasmagorical Ingmar Bergman trippy world for, <laughs> for, the, for, the, for The Blinding Light. James, but I, I just suddenly wanted to ask you because I never have. Did 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 being in creditors feel really different from being in Miss Julie? I mean, clearly yeah. a totally different character. But yeah, uh, yeah, playing. I should have mentioned that at the beginning, shouldn't I? I also played. You can add this in later. Uh, I also <laughs> played uh, <laughs> Adolf in Creditors. Um, obviously, the character was named before that name had a, any kind of history. <laughs> Uh, Good point. But uh, Adolf in Creditors and um, totally different. Weirdly, they're written. I mean, you can correct me if I'm wrong here, Howard, but uh, uh, they're written quite close together, Creditors and Juice. Yes, right? they are. Yes, they were. Yes. Sort of oh, they were written on that mad summer when they were that in, mad the, summer the, in the, the castle. Weird. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So I've always wanted to do a period drama about that summer. Yeah. Yeah. And they had these experiences, and one of them was uh, Julie, essentially. Uh, there's a story that, that sort of correlates with Julie. And then the other one is obviously with his wives, um, uh, which I think maybe inspired creditors. But um, playing it was totally different. It feels, it feels like um, the other half to Julie, if you like. It feels like uh, Julie is the dark and um, real and grit. Um, and uh, uh, open-hearted wretch that he wanted to write that summer, and then creditors is uh, all, all the all the stuff that he was he was feeling, and then and bundled into a story, um, and it's just um, it, it, it felt it felt a lot less um, dark, even though it was dark, but it wasn't as dark as as Judy, um, and it felt a lot more linear and sectioned um which i found very odd but yet still with that as we we're talking about at the beginning yet still with that same doesn't make sense you feel this thing then you don't then you do then you might then you won't <laughs> then you and that, so it's still with that same feeling but with weirdly sort of structured moments i don't, I don't know what the what the i mean what the history is of how he wrote it and why he wrote it and what, but but that's what it felt like to do but you're very different to play and weirdly a lot lighter at moments a lot lighter even though Julie did have its funny bits and you know bits where people laughed and jokes that were made, but kind of just felt a bit, bit, bit lighter, a bit more. I don't know, tailored towards not that part of his life. Maybe he had enough of writing about that part of his life because he wrote Miss Julie, which I imagine hurt. So maybe he wrote something that wasn't quite as, but still pretty dark. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and watching, I mean, watching Adolf, uh, like Howard's face, be kind of ground into by by Gustav which David Sturzak did so brilliantly and just like like a kind of beautiful engineer just like yeah. unpicks this man yeah well yeah. Was really interested in is like how is always interested in like how one person can have power over another yeah totally. I sometimes totally. think everyone has their has their pin code and like you know one of our like responsible things to do as humans is like not to use other people's pin codes yeah like that's that's the mark of a cruel person, isn't it? It's like yeah. if you enter it, and and he's fascinated by like what happens if you just keep putting the passwords in. Yeah. And Gustav just sees Adolf, uh, who is spoiler um, married to his ex-wife, and and 
is determined to completely dismantle their their marriage, which he does clinically, like mm-hmm. with pleasure, like a surgeon might. So in Julie, there's two people in it. There's well, there's two people. There's three people in it, but there's the two the two people obviously that are in it most is is that they've got they're the same. They're of the same level. They're of different class and different backgrounds, but they're of the same. They're on the same level. They can manipulate each other. They can hurt each other. They can they give as good you know, as they get, don't they? As good as they get to each other, it's totally equal on that front. But creditors, there's three different people with three very different abilities, level of ability. Mm-hmm. Uh, and <laughs> Adolf comes at the bottom of that run, I think. So for that, so for those sort of comparisons, uh, we're playing one character that's completely aware of what's happening and uh, you know, having shots fired at him and then adjusting and shot, firing a shot back and coming back and being hit. And then Adolf just mainly sort of was sort of getting dragged along by everything. So it was quite, this is quite a challenge to play both of those things, to put one thing one way, especially when we did it back to back, one thing one night and then switch the other night to play. We should introduce you sometime to Christopher Ravenscroft who played Kurt in Dance of Death. Yeah. Because Kurt is sort of the same part. Right, okay. Yes. Adolf. I mean, what he does is he wanders in as as if he's like an innocent who's just like accidentally wandered into the lion's den. Yeah, and he thinks that he might have a go at dismantling their yes. marriage. I know. Well, <laughs> well, Blinks in the eyes. Uh, <laughs> 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 oh, oh, oh God! Yes, that's very Linda. Linda, you know. Gosh. I mean, <laughs> somebody who walks in and decides to destroy something. That's very. I, I, yeah, I, I, I think that that he was trying to write about evil in the creditors, and that Gustav is evil. And then he represents a kind of human negativity, yeah. um, which uh, which um, Strindberg was highly paranoid at times. You know, depending on what substance or drink he was taking, you know, in a particular era. But he was he was high, high, highly paranoid, and he feared the kind of negative, the the, the dismantler, the second rate. You know, and mm-hmm. I think that's what uh, what Gustav represents in the play. He almost does it casually, and at the end he says, "Oh, oh, they really did love each other." Mm. With the inference, "Oh, maybe I shouldn't have done that. Maybe I shouldn't have turned up because you know, mm. oh, oh well, you know, it's casual, second rate." And I think that was evil for you know, mm. he's mm. attempting a, a portrait of what he saw as human evil. Mm. Mm. Then he always leaves room, doesn't he, for for actors? I sense that he loves actors because you know. I, I, I agree with everything you've just said, Howard. And then David Sturzak is able to take that final m- yeah. movement for Gustav. And suddenly you find yourself feeling sorry for this. Yes, because he oh, says, actually, I failed. I have failed. I'm a failure. He suddenly acknowledges his own failure. Having yeah. Sort of yeah. Devil, and there's so this kind of yeah. animal pain there. Yeah, yeah. And he's always kind of spacious somehow in the, in the writing. Yeah, we've talked we talked a lot about how that kind of changes in performance and changes in reception modify the way in which people see those plays, whether it be the same play. I'd be really interested to know whether how that changes. Like you talked earlier about shifts and how like your adaptation process do, does does that change over a period of time when you know history is different as it were and do, do you have to adapt things in different ways basically to to appeal to 
the ways in which things are being received or with Strindberg does the work take care of itself because it seems like the way you all speak about it it has such a life of its own well uh, no um uh, I did it with Agnes Broom who is who, who did the literal translation who's a, 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 a Swedish scholar and um and the, the the aim was to do something impossible that is to present what he actually wrote which is impossible because it was written in a different you know the cultural shifts are enormous in the last hundred plus years um but nevertheless to do that to try and get to his voice again that would be impossible you know but that was the the attempt was and so i had strict rules never take anything away from what was there never never put anything in every image every sentiment will be exactly would, would would be in the original and i never added you know um uh the the exception in a way was 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 uh, dance of death because it was tom's idea to get into one evening the two parts of the play which would take i don't know four hours or more to do in, if you did it in real time which did mean uh, a restitching cutting at, at, at times but with the other two plays no um it um, I I don't I don't like the decon. I thought try try if if you deconstruct if you try and update if you try and set it in Margate amongst the stink of the seaweed of that town you know um, you 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 will lose you will lose something by attempting to update it. And you'll lose an authentic voice, which is what we've what what we've been talking about today, really. Yeah. So so no, it was to do the impossible, to do it straight. Yeah, dances of death required it. It needed a lot more intervention, didn't it? Particularly in the second half, because yes. it was partly length, but also the that's the play. I think where you can see him moving out of his sort of naturalist first half into his expressionist second half of his career. Because the first half is exactly like Miss Julie or Creditors. It's three people bottled yes. up, fighting it out. But then the second half, suddenly it introduces three more characters, their children. Um, and he starts writing these scenes that are like six lines long and then another yes. scene that's four lines long and um and we had to find a totally different theatrical language for the second half and also the plotting in the second half of dance of the death was bananas yes do you remember sitting in that little tiny office at the gate yeah what felt like days but was probably only one very long afternoon but just trying to work out what the hell happened with all of because he's not bothered about what happened in the past or off stage except insofar as it it's affecting you now yes so he'd just go well you poisoned the well at the quarantine station and you know two pages before you've been told there is no quarantine station or something like that and you go right well <laughs> Would would you like a tidy up here, August, mm -hmm. or, or should yeah. we, do we just go with it, or what? And he'll say, and he'll say, no, yeah, no yeah. need, it's fine, don't worry, carry on. It's so it's so weird that, isn't it? Because we're so used to these things being tidy. The lying is really interesting as well, isn't it? In all the plays, they they sort of lie, but they don't know they're lying. Do, do you remember that? It, it's kind of oh. weird. They just 
make stuff up and it feels true. Well, the your totally part in, that, in the rehearsal, your whole idea yes. that it's true when they say it, and then it might be immediately not true after. But when they say it, everything's true. So yes. if that's they, very they, strong they, in creditors, isn't it? They yeah. think that for the moment, and then they don't. So actually, when you say they're lying, maybe it's Strindberg lying, but the characters certainly don't ever really lie. It's more sort of, that's how I feel now. And then all of a sudden, oh no, I don't feel like that at all. Yeah. Uh, and so you can, so again, as an actor playing it, you can play everything for, for truth, you know, real. That taught me loads about, about directing most plays, actually. Mm -hmm. I, I, I'm really strict now about those conversations where, you know, that rehearsal room conversation starts where you're like, oh, is it true? Are they, are they adjusting the truth? Are you masking something? And I'm like, mm. I think it's actually quite rare in human interaction that someone takes a story, consciously adjusts it, tells a different story. I mean, normally it, you just say it and it comes out and then it may or may not be <laughs> quite match the facts. Um, that, that's, and Howard had a, a word for it, which was in, Dances of Death, and then I think we used it again in Blinding Light, which was fabulate. You make up yes. stories. And yes, fabulate. Fabulate. Is that a real word? Maybe a coinage. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, but that's that's kind of amazing to to play and to see played, like that that story of Jean's in the first half of Miss Julie that. Yeah turns out that with it's his big seduction story isn't it and then it turns out to be completely uh untrue or at least he says it's untrue yeah might not be <laughs> we don't know <laughs> oh it's definitely made up i know men like sean it's a lie <laughs> <laughs> and bless her she fell for it for 0.5 seconds <laughs> we've all been there jules we've all been there <laughs> Thank you for tuning in to another episode of Prompt Corner. That was, as ever, such a pleasure. Next week, we will be speaking to lighting designers. Until then, stay safe.